This is a presentation of Redemption Bible Church. For more information, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org. Well, good morning. Um, I, uh, yeah, I want to thank you for allowing me to uh, be able to preach um, as a Canadian on the 4th of July. Um, as Pastor Ash said, um, you know, being from Canada, I don't, I certainly don't have a thick Canadian accent to, um, to give you, but if you listen carefully, you may hear a few words here or there. Um, if some of you were not aware, uh, I did recently get married about uh, a month ago, uh, which was, yes, thank you. Um, this was very exciting. Uh, what I would say was the best decision of my life. Um, my um, wife, Annalise, in, in the red hair, um, you can see, uh, I, we knew each other for a long time, uh, and I thought that we agreed on, on pretty much everything. Uh, once we got married, suddenly I began to see, oh, th there are some differences in opinions, and, and uh, maybe you can relate to that, or, um, or maybe not. When we think about it, we deal with this reality, not just with our spouses, we deal with the reality of disagreements every day, do we not? Do we not agree with each other in, uh, in small things or big things? Uh, we disagree on uh, what makes the best pet. Is it a cat or a dog? Uh, what the best season is, is it uh, winter or summer? In Chicago, we certainly have like seven seasons to choose from. Uh, what our thoughts are on clowns, are they scary or fun? Uh, what the best deep dish pizza, pizza is, is it uh, Luminati's or Giordano's? <laughs> Disagree, but that's all right. Uh, favorite baseball team, is it the Cubs or the Sox? <laughs> Many of these are lighthearted and they're not, they're not a big deal, um, but other disagreements matter deeply to us. Uh, they have the potential to deeply wound or divide us. We find ourselves somehow uh, sometimes holding tightly uh, to our opinions or points of view, and sometimes we allow it to bulldoze our relationships, our families, and sometimes the body of Christ. Paul addresses this in our passage this morning. He calls us to a selflessness that brings us to a deep and intentional care for others. He points out that, our, that the interests of others are so important that we are to constantly put them before our own. So our title this morning is Living Out Our Unity. And if you haven't opened up uh, your Bible yet, I want to invite you to turn to our passage this morning, which is found in the New Testament book of Philippians, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. Philippians 2, verses 1 to 11. As you're uh, finding the passage this morning, I, I want to talk a little bit about the context uh, of Philippians and how we arrive at our passage this morning, how we get to verse 2. There are a few things that I want to highlight. Paul is writing to the church of Philippi uh, from his prison cell in Rome. This was a church that he planted and that he visited multiple times. These were people that he knew and he loved. And at the time that he wrote this letter, the church of Philippi had become divided. Paul is now calling the church to unity. 
He calls the church to do this by emptying themselves and elevating each other. And that is what we're going to see here. And that's why our big idea this morning is that our unity in Christ leads us to empty ourselves and elevate each other. In verse 1 and 2, of Philippians chapter 2, Paul starts addressing the issue of unity by using a conditional statement. He says this. He says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. In verses 1 and 2, Paul tells us with this conditional statement, he says, verse 1, if these things exist, then verse 2, do these things. If there is any encouragement in Christ, while we may not always feel it at certain times, uh, which is normal, uh, we do know that there is encouragement in Christ. Paul continues, if there is any comfort from love, And this is the the love of the incarnate Christ that comes close to us and says, I understand what you're going through. I'm here with you. So there is comfort from love. Paul continues, any participation in the spirit, and this is God's indwelling within us. It is the helper that Christ sent to encourage, to guide, and empower us as his followers. Paul continues, any affection and sympathy, and this is the love, the grace, and the mercy of God. God has given us these things in verse 1. Paul knew this to be true. He's being rhetorical here with with the way that he he puts verse 1 together. He's saying, if these things are true, which we know that they are, he then says, so complete My joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Verse 1 gives us God's actions towards us. Verse 1 is what God has given us. Verse 2 is now what our response should be to that action. That is to be of the same mind and have the same love. Verse 1 is our unity, which is found in Christ And it is our responsibility that lies in our response to that gift of unity. So the question that we have to ask is, how do we respond to being of the same mind and the same love? And before we investigate that this morning, I want to provide a few examples of what it does not mean. Okay, so being of the same mind and the same love does not mean that we must completely agree on everything. There are certainly primary doctrines uh, that are of the utmost importance for us to agree on, things of which we know to be truth in Scripture. But then there's also open-handed issues uh, of which we can view things differently and still remain unified. Somehow, some of these open-handed issues, however, are the ones that we can sometimes get caught up on. And it is our responsibility to not be divisive on any of these issues. So being of the same mind and the same love also means 
that we don't have to be silent when there are differences. As members in the body of Christ, we have been given a voice, and we should be able to use it to share our thoughts and our opinions with each other. There's nothing wrong with this. Once again, it's a responsibility that lies in how we share our thoughts and concerns and our opinions with others. And then the third thing is that being of the same mind and the same love does not mean that we have to have had the same life experiences as others. Some of us have vastly different life experiences and backgrounds which have shaped and molded who we are. We have different families, different educational backgrounds, different countries. That's okay. There is value in seeing the world through different lenses. And so the goal is not to have everyone completely synchronized in their point of view. Our responsibility, once again, however, lies in seeking understanding from that point of view, from a point of view that isn't our own, and to truly listen and understand. And these are just some of the examples of what being of the same mind and the same love does not mean for us as the church. And so the question remains, what does it mean? As we along with the church of Philippi, we've been united in Christ. We see this in verse 1. So how are we to then respond by being of the same mind and the same love? What should our outcome of our unity in Christ be? If we look closely at the next few verses, we begin to see two clear outcomes of our unity as we live this unity together as the church. And the first outcome is this. Unity leads to sacrificing our interests to serve others. Our unity in Christ should lead us to be willing to sacrifice our interests to serve each other. In verse 3 and 4, Paul explains what this means when he delivers two contrasting ideas. Verse 3, he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Both of these contrasting ideas follow the same idea, but they take on two very different and important practical ways in which we are commanded to be of the same mind and the same love. The first half of verse 3, it gives us a command to not do something. The other half gives us a command to do something. And the command to do, uh, to do something is, or to do, is to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. This is found in the beginning of verse 3. And I want to be clear here, uh, we're not told to refrain from ambition. Ambition is something uh, that God has given us to, uh, to work hard, to do well in our jobs, in our families, in the church. There's no, nothing wrong with uh, working to be successful in these areas. There's no, nothing wrong with working hard and being ambitious to uh, see the church grow. God tells us to do everything as unto the Lord, which is in Colossians 3, verse 23. And so our ambition, if directed by the Lord, is good and useful for fulfilling God's purpose for us. 
this is to help others know and, uh, who Jesus is and to grow to be like Jesus. It's when we take this ambition and we pervert it with our selfishness by putting others down to further our own agenda. It's neglecting to think of others as we pursue our own passions and complete our own goals. It's about loving yourself as yourself instead of loving your neighbor as yourself. I want to sit in this part of the passage for a moment because selfish ambition is an idea that covers so much and I don't want us just to quickly gloss past it. I think it's important for us to look at what selfish ambition looks like as the church of Christ. It could be slandering leadership when decisions were made uh, that we didn't agree with. It could be ignoring or neglecting others who have different political ideas than you have. In your families, it could be shutting your spouse down when they suggest an idea contrary to your own or putting all your time and energy into furthering your career instead of investing and loving and caring for your family. It could be pushing your friends and loved ones aside and in investing all of your time and energy to yourself. Whatever selfish ambition looks like for you uh, this morning, the outcome most certainly leads to disunity. It leads to a church of 200 members going in 200 different directions. And instead of working as one body, our selfish ambition pulls us out of what Christ has already unified So as our ambition drives our determination to do hard work, it is our selfish ambition which brings serious disunity and conflict within the body. Paul then continues in verse 3, mentioning conceit. Because it isn't enough just for our ambition to be selfless, our hearts must be as well. So wherever we are, whatever we've been called to do, we've been called to do nothing with a conceited heart. We must consistently check ourselves to make sure that our words, our thoughts, and our desires do not reflect a conceited heart. So Paul then contrasts what we are not to do with what he wants us to do. And we see this at the end of verse 3. He says, he continues, in humility, count others more significant than ourselves. This is probably the hardest thing for us to do in the entire passage. Because it's one thing to make sure that our actions are not rooted in selfishness, but now we're told to count others more significant than ourselves. This looks radically different than simply refraining from selfish ambition or conceit. Here, Paul is uh, he's telling us to, to take this to the next level because now we're being told to elevate others higher than ourselves. So what does this look like for us in our world? I, uh, I shop at Aldi a lot. Um, I, I love the store. Uh, they have really great uh, product for really great prices. Um, but there's something, uh, I think a lot of us can probably agree Aldi is great, but there's something about Aldi 
um, that I really don't understand. Um, if you're familiar with the, um, with the market, when you get into Aldi, you see that there are uh, generally, depending on the location, there's about 10 registers in the building. I think you know where I'm going here. For some reason, rarely, you'll see maybe two registers open at a time. Generally, it's only one register open. And so we do all our shopping, and we get to the line, and we end up having to wait a long time in order to get our groceries done. So selfish ambition, for me, would be to cut somebody in line, to get ahead of the line above everyone else, uh, because I feel as if my time is more important. It is my conceited heart that tells me that I am more important than they are, that my time is more valuable, and that I should finish my shopping before they do. Paul, in this passage, he isn't just telling us not to be line cutters, though. He's telling us to be willing to let others in line before us. Now, I'm not suggesting that you should let everyone at Aldi in line before you get there. Uh, certainly, you'd never get your groceries done, and you definitely would not get your groceries done at Aldi. But the point here that Paul is trying to make is that he wants our actions to tell those around us that they are more significant to us than we are our own self. I think what it comes down to is a willingness to sacrifice our wants, our desires, and our opinions in order to better serve each other. It's having the mindset that the unification of the body of Christ is far more important than our individual preferences or desires. And as Pastor Ash has said before, it means assuming the best of others, asking questions, seeking clarification when needed. It means trusting and allowing leadership to make decisions and carry them out. It means leadership in the church making decisions that uplift and empower its congregation to carry out God's work. It means being willing to invest time into your family, even if it, if it costs you parts of your career. It means giving time to those in need, even if it means sacrificing your Friday night or your weekend. Verse 3 goes completely against the culture of the world that we live in. It is a calling of sacrificial love and service to others goes against our culture here in the West and in this world. Instead of clinging to our own individual rights and freedoms, Paul calls us to serve each other in the church. And this brings us to verse 4. Paul continues and he says, that each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. And it is in this verse that we see Paul take it one final step further. It gives us the responsibility for the needs and interests of other members in the body. We're called to keep our selfish ambitions in check. We are called to consider others higher than ourselves. And now we are called to look out for the needs of others. 
I want to remember we're not talking about a disregarding our own interests. This is not what Paul is talking about. As mentioned earlier, there's nothing wrong with uh, being ambitious or working hard to get something that we desire. However, our own interests are not to be our only concern within the church. So when you combine, uh, when you combine this with verse 3, we see that we cannot allow our concerns to be elevated above the concerns of others. This is where it gets incredibly hard. I think we all want to care about the interests of each other. But Paul here is talking about this in light of unity in the church. So what do we do when our interests and our preferences conflict with the interests of others here? Are we willing to give up our own interests to serve the interests of others? I think we can all agree that uh, this past year has been difficult for the Big C Church. There has been a lot of disunity and conflict. When this uh, pandemic started, there was disagreements over a lot of things. It was over the seriousness of the pandemic. This created a wedge that began to divide the nations and many, or divide the, um, the nation and many of the churches within it. Uh, we had riots and protests in the summer of 2020. We had the elections in November. We had whether or not masks were something we should wear or uh, whether or not vaccines were something good to be taken. There's no shortage of things to be divided over. So how are we supposed to be of the same mind and the same love and still live out our unity in spite of all these differences? Ironically, we could probably say that we are unified in the fact that this seems like an incredibly difficult task. But Paul explains further. He doesn't leave us just here. He explains further in verse 5, and this is the foundation of which we can stand on in our response to unity in the church. He says in verse 5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So up until this verse, we are shown that Paul deems it necessary for the church to be of one mind and one love. We then learn that Paul intends for our unity to require us to abstain from selfish ambition or prideful elevation, that it requires us to consistently care for the needs of others in the church, and now we get to a deeper understanding of how we make this possible. Because in the midst of a divided and conflicted world, we can have the same mind and the same love that Paul is talking about in Christ Jesus. That is what brings us to our second outcome this morning, and that is that unity leads to faithfully following the way of Jesus together. Because together, with our unity, we can faithfully follow the way of Jesus We know that what Paul is commanding here is not just, we know it's not an easy thing. Uh, So what does it mean to faithfully follow Jesus in the church? It means submitting to the Holy Spirit through Christ Jesus. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he did not leave us alone. Instead, he provided us with a helper who equips us, 
who gives us power to boldly speak the gospel message, who guides us in our walk with the Lord. It is likely that many of us in this room will find things to disagree on. That's okay. However, we have been given unity in Christ Jesus. We've been given the gift of one Holy Spirit who lives in every follower of Christ. And it is our submission to the leading of the Holy Spirit that helps us to work together with one mind and one love, together participating in the Spirit, which we see in verse 1. If you remember, participation in the Spirit. Paul mentions also being unified in this way in Ephesians 4, verse 4. He says, There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. This is essential to keep in mind because it provides the answer to the question of how. Right, so we can all agree that there's no shortage of things to be divided over, but it is Paul and the words of of God when he says, you can still be unified. You've You've been given the power to do this. It is through the work of the Holy Spirit in you. So while some of us may lean left politically or others lean right, some of us would take the vaccine, others wouldn't go near it. Some of us like clowns, others of us don't understand why we have them at children's birthday parties. There is no doubt that we have things to disagree on. However, we come here this morning united with one Holy Spirit, gathered under one roof this morning, submitted to the same God, God the Son, God the, um, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit. And it is therefore both possible and expected of us to love and serve one another by submitting to the leading of the Holy Spirit. So in all our differences, we come under one mind and one love through the sharing of salvation through Christ's sacrifice, through the work of God in us, and the shared goal of helping each other to know Jesus and to grow to be like Jesus. This is something that we can do as the church. This is something that Paul believed and expected of us. We are often called to sacrifice in our submission to the Holy Spirit, But did Christ not do the same for us? Is submission to the Holy Spirit, even at a high cost, not the way of Jesus? So, finally, faithfully following the way of Jesus also means loving like Jesus does. Being unified in selflessness to each other is not something that was expected of us, before it was modeled for us. In verse 6, Paul expands more on this mindset that Christ modeled for us. He says, Jesus Christ, who though he was, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Other translations say he did not count Equality with God, something to be used as an advantage. Jesus, being fully God, did not use his divinity to exalt himself. 
For from the moment he was born, which was in the most humble way in a stable, to the moment that he died in the most humiliating way on a cross, Christ remained a servant to those he was ministering to. Verse 7, Paul continues and says, But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of man. Paul is not saying here that Jesus set aside his divinity in exchange for humanity. In the incarnation, Jesus was both fully God and truly God. He was also fully and truly man. He added humanity to his divinity and experienced every aspect of humanity just as you and I did. He grew from a baby to, became, to become a man. He became hungry. He slept when he was tired. And in doing so, he emptied himself of his position and prestige by taking the form of a servant. Jesus did not simply take on the likeness of man by becoming man, by becoming becoming who he came to serve. Verse 8, Paul continues and he says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. As a servant, Christ became obedient to the point where he had to die. Paul says, death even on a cross. This was the kind of punishment that was meant for the most serious criminals. Christ's love for us was so strong that he was willing to humble himself by being in the likeness of man. Then he humbled himself further by becoming a servant, not a man of power or prestige. And then he humbled himself so much further by obediently suffering a shameful and painful death. That was the mindset of Christ. That is the mindset that Paul wants for the church. It is a pure, selfless, and sacrificial love. Can you imagine what the church of Christ would be like if we were united in this kind of love for each other? Can you imagine if our unity in Christ, secured by his death and resurrection, led us to empty ourselves just as Jesus did and elevate others just as Jesus did. That is what it means to love like Jesus and to love our neighbor as ourself. Paul continues in verses 9 to 11 with this. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus was lifted up and exalted and given a name that will bring everyone to their knees in worship and confession. And then Paul ends our passage this morning acknowledging that in all of that, God is glorified. So what happens when the church of Christ lives out their unity with the same mindset that Christ had? 
we see that individuals in the church will be empowered by one another to love and do good works. Hebrews 10 verse 24 says, it tells us to consider how we might stir up one another to love and good works, encouraging one another. We see that that's Christ's intent for the church. We also see that the church becomes unified through serving each other with the same mind and the same love. That while we may differ from opinions and certain beliefs, we will always walk together with the greatest thing that we can ever have in common. And that is that we are followers of Jesus, seeking to know him and to grow to be like him. And that we seek to point people to Jesus by loving like Jesus. And it is in this way that we can spread the gospel to others through our actions. Our unity in the church will become a shining example to unbelievers and tell them that we are different from this world. We can love each other the way that people don't understand. Because as Jesus says in John 13, verse 35, he says, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And then finally, and most importantly, we will see that God is glorified. God is glorified when the church of Christ becomes unified in having the same mind and the same love that Christ had and still has. So we don't do this for our own satisfaction or comfort. We do it for God's glorification. This may seem like an incredibly difficult task, and it is. We're a crazy family here at Redemption. We have a crazy, unpredictable uncle, that wild, adventurous cousin. We have a Canadian up here uh, who also happens to be a Packers fan. I saved that till the end of my sermon so that, you know. <laughs> like all families, we have disagreements and challenges. But we're also brothers and sisters in Christ. We are unified in Christ Jesus and we are called to live out that unity. So I would challenge you right now to think about what you could do to be of the same mind and the same love of the person sitting next to you, across from you, or in the row in front of you? What may God be asking you to do differently so that you can better selflessly love other people in this room? Did something come to mind? I would challenge you to do that today. It will likely be a difficult thing to do. However, we can do it. We can do it because Christ did it for us. After all, we love because he first loved us. Let us pray. Thanks for listening. For more audio content and information about redemption, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org.